the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The army belonged to God. All the Israelites belonged to God, not David. The kingdom belonged to God, not David. The palace was God's, not David. Everything about David and the kingdom of Israel was God's. And David, in this moment, rose up, incited by Satan, wanted the men to be counted so that he could lay claim to something that didn't belong to him. That's why God was angry. That's why it was evil. And we need to get this for ourselves because it's about ownership. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through First Chronicles. When you experience success in any form, it's really difficult not to feel proud of yourself. In reality, all the glory belongs to God, no matter how much effort you think you contributed. God gave you the ability in the first place. In today's teaching, Pastor Gary shares how God used David to build up a powerful kingdom. Yet even for a former shepherd boy, it went to his head just a bit. David made a grave mistake that we can all learn from. Our life and possessions all belong to God. Let's not act like more than just a good steward of it. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Ownership. Let's take our Bibles and let's jump right into our study today. We're going to be in First Chronicles And we'll start in chapter 21. So if you would take your Bibles and join me there. I want to look at two stories with you today as we close out the book of 1 Chronicles. I know we're taking kind of a large swath of chapters here, but that's because, again, much of what you read in Chronicles is repeated from Samuel and Kings. So there are two stories that I want us to look at as we close out the book. These are two very different stories, but they share one common theme. So we're going to look at them together. The first story is found here, chapter 21. I'm going to read the first seven verses. It says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, May the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, small l, just talking about David respectfully. Are there not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. 
Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. Let's go now to chapter 29, last chapter in the book of First Chronicles, chapter 29. And here's the second story, which talks about the preparations for building the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. I'm going to read the first nine verses here in chapter 29. It says, verse 1, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great, because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stones and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures, David says, of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for his holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly... They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord David the king also rejoiced greatly. So as we look at these two stories here, one from chapter 21 and one from chapter 29, you might be asked, what do these two stories have in common? I mean, what is the story of counting the fighting men, which turns out to be something very evil for which Israel is punished, have to do with the building of the temple, which turns out to be a very noble thing, and God is honored? Well, for those of you who like to take notes, the one theme that both of these stories have in common is ownership. The subject here is about ownership. Now, let's start first place first, and I'll explain what I mean. Go back to chapter 21. Let's look at the first story, and let me give you a few bullet points of perspective leading up here to chapter 21. At the time of chapter 21, David is about 65 years of age. He has reigned in Israel now as king for about 35 years. He'll die at the age of 70, so he's in the autumn of his life now. He's 65, but he's also at the pinnacle of success, if you will, as the king of Israel. I mean, the kingdom of Israel under David's leadership and under his military campaigns has advanced and expanded geographically and in terms of prosperity too. When David first became king, the kingdom of Israel was around 6,000 square miles. Now, by the time we get here to chapter 21, it's 10 times that. It's about 60,000 square miles now that Israel has expanded in its borders, and it has become very wealthy. 
Because as they have subdued their enemies around them, and as other nations have wanted to honor David by bringing him tribute, the money's just been pouring into the nation. David has like a Midas touch here. Everything he touches turns to gold, and every military campaign he begins to win. So God is with him, and God has given him great favor, and things are going really well for David. The whole affair with Bathsheba is about 15 years in the rearview mirror. In fact, Chronicles doesn't even mention the affair with Bathsheba. That's only what we find in Samuel. So David is now at the place in his life where most of his problems are behind him, enjoying great success, enjoying great accomplishment, enjoying great prosperity for the nation, and things are going really well for David. Really, really well for David. In fact, going so well for him that what has begun to happen for him is what tends to happen for us when things go really, really well. We forget God. We forget God. You know, when things are difficult and we're going through trials, it has a natural way of driving us towards God. And when things are going really well and we're having success and accomplishment and achievement, they have a natural tendency of just moving us away from God. Because trials and difficulties create within us a God dependence. We run to Him and we see our God dependence, our need for Him. Whereas success and accomplishment tend to make us independent. And God never intended us to live independently of Him. Now, that isn't to say that God has a problem with success or accomplishment. Who do you think blessed David? Who do you think prospered him? Who do you think throughout the Bible, when you see people accomplishing great things, they did it because God was with them? God doesn't have a problem with success or accomplishment or achievement. But the idea then is that if you're experiencing a period of, you know, great success in your life. Things are going really well right now in your life. I mean, life is firing on all cylinders. Everything just seems to be going smoothly and wonderfully. Then listen, you have an even greater need to intentionally press into the Lord because otherwise success and accomplishment naturally will make us independent from God. This was David. David was at a place in his life right now, kind of the pinnacle of success, where he started to get a little too full of himself. He let his success go to his head. He opened up his heart and allowed pride to pull up a chair. And he began to become a man who forgot God, at least in this scene. And he orders a census of the Israeli army. Now, you might ask when you read this, you know, what is so wrong about taking a census of the Israeli army? I mean, what is so wrong about counting the army of Israel? Well, I'll answer that as we go on. But first, I want you to notice that when he gives this order to Joab in our story here in chapter 21, Joab, you can circle his name, he's the general. He's the general of the armed forces. Of course, David is the king, so he's commander in chief. And David turns to Joab, his general, and he says, I want you to go throughout Israel. I want you to take a census of the entire Israeli army. Now, 2 Samuel tells us that it takes about a year, almost a year, for Joab to do this. But notice he's very reluctant. He's very reluctant to do this. In fact, at the end of verse 3, look at the end of verse 3, Joab pushes back and says to David, Why should my lord the king bring guilt on Israel? Joab knows this is not a good thing that you're asking me to do. But verse 4 says that David's word overruled Joab as David's commander-in-chief. So his general, being a good soldier, is going to take orders from his commander-in-chief. Those of you in the military know sometimes you don't really want to do what your commanding officer says, but you do it nonetheless. 
you're loyal. And so that's what Joab does. He goes throughout the land of Israel, takes almost a year to gather the census. It says here that he doesn't even give a correct total. He fudges the numbers because it says in verse 6, the king's command was repulsive to him. So he doesn't even count the tribes of Levi and Benjamin. He's like, I'm not even going to give David the satisfaction of knowing how large the army is here. And so he brings back a number to David. And the number is given to us here in the passage. 1,100,000 able-bodied men to wield the sword. 1.1 million. That's the military personnel in Israel at the time. And by the way, that is almost twice what it is today in Israel. In Israel today, they have about 650,000 active and reserve military personnel. Here in David's day, 1.1 million. Almost twice what they have today. And so... Joab returns, gives David the count, but it says in verse 7 that this command was evil in the sight of God, and so he punished Israel. And punish Israel he did indeed. The Bible says 70,000 men died. God sent an angel of death to strike and bring judgment upon the nation of Israel because of this wicked request of David. 70,000 died. And more would have died except for the fact that David intercedes by offering a sacrifice to the Lord, buying the threshing floor of Aaron now, which is on the peak of Mount Moriah, which, by the way, same location where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, same location where a few thousand years after this story, Jesus will die on a cross. The pinnacle of Mount Moriah, the flat, plateaued area, the threshing floor of Aaron now, David buys offers a sacrifice to the Lord to appeal to the mercy of God, and God stays his hand of judgment. 70,000 died. More would have if David hadn't interceded with an offering and a sacrifice. So that's the scene here. And David even says in verse 8, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now why is it a sin? And why was it so evil in the sight of the Lord? And why did Joab know that this was wrong? Because it's about ownership. It's about ownership. You see, in those days... A man was only permitted to count or number what belonged to him. He was only permitted to count or number what belonged to him. Even the Bible says when God did order a couple of census at different times, God doesn't have a problem with counting. In fact, he ordered a few different times for census to be taken. But in Exodus 30, verses 11 and 12, God instructed Moses, this is the right way to take a census. When you take a census, when you count everybody in Israel, everyone at the same time who is counted is to give what the Bible says in Exodus 30, 11 and 12, is a ransom offering. Every person was to pay a ransom fee. It was given as an offering to the Lord. It was put in the house of the Lord. But it was required every time a census was taken. Here's the reason. What is a ransom? When it says there that a ransom fee is to be taken in Exodus 30, every time you receive a census, a ransom is a price that is paid to secure the freedom of someone who belongs to another. When somebody gets kidnapped, then there's usually a ransom with that. They try to blackmail you. You know, they call you and say, if you pay a ransom, you'll get your family member back. It is a fee that is paid to secure the freedom of someone who belongs to another. This is what God did for Israel. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God miraculously delivered them. He ransomed them. He brought them out of Egypt and took them to the promised land. 
And therefore, every time they were counted, he says, now pay a ransom offering unto me to the house of the Lord so that you will never forget that you have been ransomed and redeemed and you belong to me. David missed this. First of all, God never ordered the census to be taken. The Bible says what in verse 1? Satan rose up and incited David. What did Satan do? He appealed to David's pride to glory in the number of the Israeli army as if it belonged to him. But it didn't. The army belonged to God. All the Israelites belonged to God, not David. The kingdom belonged to God, not David. The palace was God's, not David. Everything about David and the kingdom of Israel was God's. And David, in this moment, rose up, incited by Satan, wanted the men to be counted so that he could lay claim to something that didn't belong to him. That's why God was angry. That's why it was evil. And we need to get this for ourselves. Because it's about ownership. It's about ownership. Your business is not yours. It's God's. Your company is God's. Your house that you live in is God's. The car that you drive is God's. The money in your bank, it's God's money. Even your children, they belong to God. I know some of you might say, well, wait a minute, they sprang forth from my body. I know, I pushed and grunted and delivered those babies. And the man stood there and watched. I know. But who do you think gave you the ability to reproduce? It was God. They belong to God. Even our very lives are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And what was the price that was paid to redeem and ransom us? Revelation 5, 9 says that Jesus was slain, and by His blood He purchased men for God from every nation, tribe, language, and people. The ransom price paid for you and me was the very blood of Jesus Christ. Now guess what? We belong to God. God is the owner of everything. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. It's all God's. David didn't get it. So what he tried to do was to take glory and credit for something that really belonged to God. And that's why God was angry. And David learned the hard way. He learned the hard way. 70,000 people die in this scene because one man tried to lay claim to something that didn't belong to him. Folks, listen, everything we have and everything we don't have, it all belongs to God. Everything that you've achieved, accomplished, everything about you is because of God's favor, grace, and God's abundance and supply. And I know some of you might say, well, wait a minute, you know, Pastor G, wait a minute, I worked hard for what I have. I've accomplished a lot over the course of my life. I've worked hard, blood, sweat, and tears. I got what I got because I worked hard, and I'm skilled and accomplished, and I did what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure you did. Hi, I'm sorry to bust your bubble. You're just not that smart or skilled. None of us is. It's God who, by His favor, has lavished upon us all that we have and all that we've accomplished. It all belongs to Him. Even the ability, Deuteronomy 8, 18 says that God makes it possible for us. The ability to produce wealth is from God, and so He confirms His covenant. It's all His, and it's all from Him. And David didn't understand this. And as a result, 70,000 people died. Now, the second story, he gets it. Go to chapter 29. I want you to see the contrast of this story, but it's the same theme. It's all about ownership. In the second story here, David has it in his heart to build a temple for God. It's a noble thing. 
Because when you look at the history of the Israelites, there's never up to this point been a permanent structure. There's never been a permanent building for the Lord from the days of Moses until David, 450 years. God's house was a tent. It was a tabernacle of the Lord. God gave instructions to Moses how to fashion it, and Moses did, and they would pick up the tent and move along through the wilderness wanderings all through the period between Egypt and the Promised Land. And even at this point, the tabernacle of God, the tent, is the house of God. And at this particular time, it's located at a place called Gibeon. And David had it in his heart, I'm going to bring everything up here to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was specifically moved there. But David says, I'm going to build a whole house to the Lord. I'm going to put it right here on the threshing floor of Aaron now, the very place that I purchased on the peak here of Mount Moriah. And we're just going to have a permanent dwelling place for God. Now, that was in his heart. It's a good thing. It's a noble thing. But God comes to David and he says, David, I hear your heart, but you're not the one to build for me a temple. You're not the one going to build me a house. God says to David, you are a man of war. And your hands have shed blood. My house will not be built by a man of war. My house will be built by a man of peace. He says to David, your son Solomon will build me a house. Solomon's name in Hebrew is pronounced Shlomo, and it comes from the Hebrew word Shalom. Solomon's name means peace. God says, your son Solomon will build me a house. Thank you very much, but it'll be Solomon who builds me a house. Now, David, however, does have the right to do two things. David then will be inspired with the plans for the building, the drawings, the design. And David will also put out the plea to the people to give generously towards the building of the temple of the Lord. In fact, the Bible says here in chapter 29, in verse 4, that David even threw in some of his own personal treasuries. It says in verse 4, 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver. 3,000 talents of gold. A single talent was 75 pounds. 3,000 times 75 pounds of gold. You know what that would be valued at today? I came prepared. <laughs> I looked it up. Friday, gold closed at $1,124 an ounce. Now you multiply that by today's standards, just the gold value he gave of himself, $4 billion. That's with a B. $4 billion. It's incredible how expensive the temple of the Lord was in those days because everything was lined with gold. The complete interior, the walls, the ceiling, the floor, the articles, most of the articles were made out of gold. Everything was just incredibly ornate for the Lord. And so David even gives $4 billion of his own money in the process here. But when he puts the word out for the people to give, notice what it says here. I want you to circle three words that describe the generosity of the people. In verse 6, it says they gave willingly willingly. In verse 9, it says they gave freely. And in verse 9, also it says they gave wholeheartedly, willingly, freely, and wholeheartedly. And when they did, all the people rejoice. And then David rejoices too at the wonderful response of the people. And here in chapter 29, I want you to see how David just bursts out into this prayer of praise and thanksgiving. Look, I'm going to read verses 10 through 16. Look here in chapter 29, verse 10. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Notice this. For everything in heaven and earth 
is yours. See how he gets it now? He gets it. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We've been studying through the book of 1 Chronicles, seeing the history of Israel and the life of King David from a new perspective. We hope you continue to join us as Pastor Gary takes us verse by verse through this Old Testament book. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also be able to hear more teachings from Pastor Gary in this book and several others. We'd also like to tell you about our mobile app. You can have Bible-based, God-revealing teachings with you wherever you go when you download our app to your iPhone, iPad, or Android. It's always great to add some encouraging words to your day, especially when the busyness and stress of each day weighs you down. You'll also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. When you like and follow us on social media, you'll have some great encouragement added to your newsfeed. We'd love to connect with you, too. Feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500 and let us know how we can be keeping you in our prayers. That number, once again, is 703-771-1500. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time on Cornerstone Connection for more from the book of First Chronicles. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.